Part eighteen of the Fates of the Princes of Dovard by Kenneth Morris. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. The Story of Rhiannon and Prideri, or the Book of the Three Unusual Arts of Prideri Fabpul. The second branch of it, called The Three Unusual Arts of Tyrinion and Guri Gwalt Irene, and the Freeing of the Birds of Rhiannon. One. The Art of War in the Midst of Peace and the freeing of Adan Lanach. When Guri Gwalt Irene was at the end of his eighteen years, and driving on his nineteen, and he equal at the time to a man of ten and twenty, he set forward on his journeyings. Here is what caused him to go. He desired news, if there were any obtaining it, concerning the talon that had dropped him into the manger of Flamwen Adan Golai, and news concerning whence the talon might have stolen him originally and more than all news as to who might be his parents it was not the king turfliant that would hinder him or seek to hinder him from such a journeying and quest as that tyrannion had taught him three unusual arts beyond all it would be customary in those days for a prince to learn from his foster parents at learning them Guri was the best pupil Turfliant ever had. Indeed, maybe he was the only one, it is not known. He had no equal among the king's foster sons, either at poetry or at war, at games or at the relating of stories. Also, he was the wittiest of them all, and the blithest and the most handsome, and the delight of every one that was acquainted with him. No one had ever heard the rumour of false speech from him, nor the rumour of discourtesy nor the naming of his own deeds and attainments. Again, at no time had he entered upon battle or contest without seeing to it that the opposer had the advantages of place and number at the onset, according to the courtesies of war and the usage of the men of the island of the mighty. All these arts and sciences Turfliant taught his foster-sons, and none but learned them well. But beyond them were these three unusual arts that he taught Guri who was more a son than a foster-son to him. They were the arts Turfliant himself had acquired when the three drops of wisdom were dropped on his lips during sleep. The first of them was the art of war in the midst of peace. The second was the art of peace in the midst of war. And the third was the spell of the wood, the field and the mountain. With the three arts, said Tylenion, it will be a wonder to me if you do not obtain success in whatsoever adventure you may undertake so goody rode forward leaving the wind behind him whenever he had a mind to for the horse he was riding was no other than girur gwyntoith the wind-driver the foal of flamwen adan golai and there was pre-eminence in all that race of horses he traversed europe and africa and the islands of corsica he was in Hlotor and Fotor, in Kerse and Asse, in India the greater and India the less. At the end of two years he came to Dufran Klukwer in Istrad Tui, and rode forward until the fall of evening. At that time he was passing through a field in a green valley, a place of rushes and cuckoo-flower, of forget-me-not and mint and marsh marigold, and hidden waters murmurous amidst the grass and mint-beds mysteriously beautiful it was in the evening it seemed to him that the immortals unseen might well be watching him suddenly 
he drew rein and fell to listening hearing the magical croon and tinkling of a song here is what he heard whoever drinks at the secret well all that he seeks shall be made full clear for the stars and the gods set a druid's spell of old on the well at Clandibi. murmur of bees in the marshland flowers the linnet's song in the linden trees who were the lone supernal powers breathed the wealth of wise in these what the wind whispers who shall tell or read the dreams of the mountain mere but the stars and gods set a bardic spell of old on the well at clandibir out of the vast and all alone kings come riding a quest at eve whence they came at the first unknown but whoso drinketh no more shall grieve for there's wondrous sight in the secret well and all things hidden were made full clear when the starry gods set a druid spell of old on the well at clandibir he looked down and saw a little runlet amidst the delicate ferns and rushes it became clearer to him than anything almost that it would be magical in its nature and that he would obtain no success at anything unless he obtained success at drinking water from its fountain therewith he dismounted and went seeking the source of the runlet long it seemed impossible to find it but the more impossible it seemed the less would he give up the search now it would appear that there was no stream there at all again he would hear it rippling and whispering invisibly again he would catch a glimpse of the gleam of its waters by the three places in wales he said they were the wood the field and the mountain find the fountain undoubtedly i will he looked down there it was before his feet and the evening star glassed in it it was a clear round pool spring-filled perpetually and dimly the yellow sand and pebbles could be seen dancing in the diamond water as it bubbled up out of the ground he kneeled down and scooped up water in his hands and drank barely had it touched his lips when it was made known to him indeed how magical the water was a breath of wind all a-tremble and murmurous with the spirit of song came stealing and whispering through the valley when he lifted his head he beheld the hills all other than they had been rainbow-coloured palaces glimmered up through the gloom and beauty of them they were all dwellings of arcane immaculate fire in his delight and wonder he spoke out loud wonderful truly is the water he said wonderful it is without doubt said one answering him it was a voice that had the sound in it of a far wind among the pine tops or of the hum and undertone of falling waters afar on a night in august he saw a maiden standing by the water's edge on the other side of the pool in the dusk of twilight a certain glow and dark radiance shone from her as if she were the heart of all the purple of the evening the gentle wind rippled through her darkly glowing hair and swayed her pale green gold embroidered mantle her two eyes were darker than the night sky and more liquidly glimmering than her own fountain when it may be glassing the multitudinous stars he rose up and gave her such greeting as a prince of the cymri would give to a goddess for it was not concealed from him that she would be of the family of hugh make known to me who it is that you are said she and what you may be questing for it is a main privilege for any one to drink from this fountain then he said i am gudigwaltairin the foster-son of tyrinion tur fliant as for my questing 
it is for news concerning a talon that dropped me in the king's manger at caerleon and for news concerning the parents from whom the talon stole me many would perform service in return for the water said she the lord of the fountain would expect it without doubt i will perform it said goody name you whatsoever you will in these waters she said there is a clearing away of uncertainty and the discovery of inaccessible antique things it might well be that having drunk and thereafter doing the service you would obtain both news of the talon and of the ones from whom it stole you whether i shall obtain it or not i will do the service and that out of courtesy and the desire to requite you for the water here is what it will be then said tubia of the fountain it will be the finding the birds of rhiannon that were stolen away from her before your body would have been made i will make known to you the story of them said she my kinswoman rhiannon ferchafaith had three birds three daughters of magic three singers of beauty and peace it was their custom to come to the fountain at dawn to quench their thirst and when they had quenched it they would sing and it would be hard to come by better singing even among the immortals it was the pity of her life that they were stolen and it was the pity of my life also it will be an honour to me to find them said goody if you will find them said tubia ride not forward without advice and counsel it will be better for you to rest here until the dawn and with the dawn to ride forward and no one would have success in finding adan lanach the eldest of the birds unless he had a feather from her wing to guide him for that reason it will be well for you to take this feather and set it in the horse's mane between the two ears and in whatever direction the wind may bend the feather in that direction travel forward if you part with the horse part not with the feather also and when you have found the bird it fell from return here and drop the feather in the fountain you will know her by this her singing is awakenment and the passing of sloth into valour beyond that it would be unwise to travel on this quest without taking the fill of your drinking horn of the water from the fountain it is good for the moistening of eyelids when there may be need for more than common vision and three drops of it will put a wonderful excellence in tools should there be any labour requiring tools for its rightful doing also whatever substance may be desired it will often be found that the water will be equal to it and even better for all these reasons it will be better to take the water and success attend you said she according to merits and deserts she had given him the feather while she was counselling him there were no means of telling it from the feather of an old white hen at the end of the counselling she stepped out over the water in the air and became a trembling purple dimness and sank down beneath the stars that shone up from the pool goody filled his drinking-horn and lay down through his sleep he heard the murmur of innumerable unseen waters weaving magical wisdom into his dreams with song he rose up in the youth of the day and rode forward having set the feather between the two ears of girur gwyntoith as to beer of the fountain had directed him it must be said that the place had changed again and was without the spiritual beauty of the night before beautiful indeed were the green hills and they were well wooded pleasant places where the linnet sings 
but the stars and fires in them were no longer visible and there was no seeing within them the houses of those youthful ones whose prime and youthful maytime is equal to the age of the world beautiful too were the waters sweetly rippling was their music in the light and gaiety of morning but they were bereft of articulate welsh where last evening they had spoken and sung beautiful were the gold marsh marigolds splendid in the dawn sweet-scented were the mint-beds beautiful the blue forget-me-not and the pale purple of the cuckoo-flower but in the midst of all that bloom and beauty the fountain of tubia was not made known to him it was as if he had never been anywhere except in his dreams but he knew what water it was that filled his drinking-horn the feather bent forward blown by a wind from some immortal region it is all a magical country is that guri rode forward singing in the dusk of evening he came to a branching of ways and for a moment the feather stood upright doubtful of its direction the road on the left ran down a little and then across a valley floor of bogland the setting sun was a flame of gold on the broad pools there and on the river where it broadened into a ford beyond the world was encumbered and strewn with immense uncouth mountains sombre in the evening looming up to a rose and primrose and daffodil sky as for the other road it would turn off after a mile or more of straightness as he could see into the heart of a great gloomy marshy wilderness of mountains ridge upon ridge and shoulder and shoulder of them wild slopes and morasses and precipices half dusk hidden dark purple night coming over them the wind rose up whispering again and the feather bent down over the left ear of the wind-driver goody turned and took the road into the valley not long before he was on the brink of the ford as soon as the foremost hoof of girur gwyntoith was wet with ford water the whole world began to drift and wander and to become uncertain and all solid things to flow and scatter and to be driven like foam upon the cataract like froth caught in the whirlpool when he turned his head there was no seeing any longer the bank he had left looking forward there was no seeing the bank to which he desired to come it was as if all the waters of the world were foaming about him or the shadow of all the waters in a kind of dream and incertitude with a murmur from infinitely far like the gathering of a shadowy multitude or the clamour of dim battles or the roaring of a ghostly wind among oak trees beyond the borders of the world it was impossible for him to find meaning or reality anywhere it was a bewilderment of cloudy waters of unreal sound that waxed for a while and then waned until there was an end of the rising of a smoke of foam from the falling of the hoofs of the wind-driver and all sound had grown fainter than the dying of a wind it was to be known by that that the far bank had been reached but still the world was no better than dimness and a wandering spray if ever there were need for more than common vision thought goody and took the lid from his drinking-horn as soon as the end of his finger wet with the water of the fountain had touched his two eyelids foam and mist and uncertainty rolled away and perished it was clear to him in a moment that he had left the confines of the island of the mighty and indeed the whole of the regions of the man-inhabited world 
Behind him was the welter and confusion of a foaming torrent without sound, cloudy and impassable, beyond which no vision might travel. Before him was somnolent marshland, gleaming on its pools with the deep gold of the sun, an abode of silence and again silence, and it appeared to him that no sound would have been heard there since of old the shouting of the threefold name. The boom of the bittern, the bleating of the snipe, would never be wafted there from beyond the ford. If the stag were belling in the uplands in October, or if the wolves were howling when the snow lay deep, it would be the same in that marshland as if there were no live creatures in the world. No wind stirred the tufts on the rushes, nor rippled the pale blue or daffodil brightness of the pools. In front, and the wall of the valley before him, what had seemed to be a range of mountains, now was revealed for a care, its vastness a boundary for the border of the world. No sound came there, no sound. Were there an army of the family of Hugh Gadarg, or a horde of demons out of Nether Abred and Anun gathered, and they to go forth impetuous as a fire in a chimney, and to charge against the care, it was doubtful, with Goody, whether either would come as far as the portals of it, or whether they would be smitten with sleep unbreakable as they drove forward and fall like long grass before the scythe of the mower in june or like the yellow leaves of late autumn before the swift running of the wingless footless wind there he chose three round stones out of the ford the size of the largest apple in the orchards of the world they will be needed thought he and put them in his wallet he left the wind-driver to graze beside the river if he desired to but parted not with the feather when he parted with the horse. Impatient was that one at being left, and eagerly desirous of accompanying his lord. But it would be unfitting for you to come, said Goody. There is natural obedience for you to remember. Such counsel as that would be enough for Gurur Gwyntoith at any time. Then Goody went forward towards the gates of the care, never had he seen the equal of that place since he was born and might never see the equal of it again in the length and width of the world as far as could be seen on either hand the walls extended no light shone from window or casement anywhere the walls were so thick at the portals that no horse could have leapt to the length of their thickness the doors were of solid granite on their hinges the stems of the ivy that had grown over them were greater in girth than the arms of any man. Three giants leaned against the doors, slumbering. The nature of their clothes or their armour was not to be known, on account of the growth of their hair and their beards. "'There would be no obtaining entry here,' said Goody, "'without strategy.' He took the first of the three stones from his wallet, and dropped three drops of the water of the fountain on it and chanted the spell for raising war in the midst of peace. "'What will be required?' said the stone. "'Tumult, dear,' said he. "'Tumult and buffetings!' He threw it down at the feet of the giants, and immediately it began its work according to his commands. While it was leaping up and smiting the three of them vigorously, and raising the dragon war-shout with unexampled vehemence, he went forward, skirting the wall northward in quest of the second door it was even vaster than the first when he came to it the stems of the ivy that had grown over it had the girth of the body of a warrior 
and the three giants that leaned against it sleeping were three times huger than the others there would be no obtaining entry without strategy thought he and even with strategy many would fail to obtain it he took the second stone from the wallet and poured seven drops of the water on it chanting the same spell no sooner had he chanted it than the stone became gifted with articulate utterance what will be required of me lord said the stone the raising up of tumult dear said goody the raising up of tumult and the dealing of impetuous belabourings hardly was it out of his hand when it rose up to its work even more violently than the first had done far vaster was the third door when he came to it than the second the stems of the ivy that had grown over it were equal in girth to the trunk of an oak of three hundred years and it was all intertwined with the beards of the three giants that slumbered there as for those three they would have been the encumberment of a world so huge they were there must be obtaining entry here said goody whether with strategy or without it thereupon he took the third stone and poured thirteen large drops on it and chanted the spell what will be required master said the stone what will be required in heaven's name shouting dear said goody tumultuous shouting in heaven's name and the raising up of such confusion as few armies of a thousand men might raise without grievous exertion and beyond that the delivering of well-aimed stinging blows upon the bodies of yonder giants the stone rose to its work and goody stood by and watched it by that time the first stone had attained awakening the giants at the first door slowly it became apparent to them that they were being belaboured and the affliction of it became more and more oppressive to them until it seemed that the whole host of the gods and the cymri were upon them in the darkness they fell to roaring and pounding upon the door desiring admittance and shelter but had no success at attaining either woe is me they roared the ruin of the world is here alas for the coming of the gods and the cymri there was no shaking the door nor rousing up the porter it appeared to them that there might be entry by the second gate and they fled towards it in confusion by the time they came there the second stone had awakened the second three giants and had begun to afflict them with a grievous fear of the ruin of the world and of the onslaught of the gods and the cymri the six of them pounded upon the door uproariously there was no breaking it down and no rousing up the porter they fled wailing towards the third door and the stones oppressed them as they ran by the time they came there the giants of the third door were awakening the third stone was belabouring them and giving them no peace and filling them with the terror of the gods and the cymri the nine of them fell to pounding upon the door and howling to the porter so great was their weight and their vigour that at long last the door shook for what reason is there knocking cried the porter it is no more than two-and-twenty years since cluid ab kilcoid came here with the bird and broke the slumber of the chieftains will there never be peace open thou the portals before we are slain they roared the hosts of the gods and the cymri are come against caer hun above all the tumult 
Goody heard the creaking and rattle of drawn bolts, and the grumbling of the porter from within. "'It is a miserable thing that there should be no time for rest and slumber,' said the porter. "'The portliness of our forms will be wasted with watching.' Thirteen bolts there were, but before the tenth of them was drawn, with the pounding and pressing of the nine giants, the door fell inward, broken from its hinges. They surged in over the threshold, stumbling and falling over the door and the ivy stems. But the stones worked upon them vigorously. Even then they might have no peace for slumber. They rose up and fled in confusion, some to the right hand and some to the left, and the stones pursuing them. The sound of their flight died away afar as Guri strode forward swiftly towards the hall. Through antique blackness, through soundlessness unbroken since the worlds were made, he journeyed. Such was the vision that he had obtained with moistening his eyelids with the water, that he came there at last, without once having stumbled or turned aside. Dim light fluttered and flickered there like the flickering of a little flame among the wood ashes, when the fire is near to its death. Vaster was the hall than would have been needed for a battlefield for two hosts of ten thousand men. On all the walls and pillars hung swords and spears and shields. They were tarnished and rusted with disuse. No one would have worn or wielded them since the shouting of the threefold name. The smallest of the swords would have had the length of a pine trunk, if the pine were taken from the borders of the forest. A scythe chariot and its horses might have stood on the expanse of the least of the shields. A dead fire was on the hearth, and a cauldron of giants over the ashes. Round the walls, without sleeping benches, and at the bases of the immeasurable pillars, lay slumbering a race of giants, plunged in antique stupor, the limbs of them huger than beech boughs, tossed and sprawling over the floor. As for what it was that gave light in the hall, and the one thing that had emotion or thought there, here is what it was. There was a leaden cage hung high over the throne of the king on the dais, and in it a crowned bird of the colour of the sunlight on the snowflake, lovelier than any bird in the forests of the world. It was the bird that gave the light. Pale and beautiful she gleamed in the dimness, there was no aspect of well-being with her, but sorrow and disquiet of mind, and forlorn unattainments of rest or peace or contentment. Ruffled were her pure feathers, she was fluttering endlessly, her fairy wings were worn with beating against the bars of the cage. More sorrowful she seemed to him than anything he had ever attained seeing. Clear it was to him in a moment that she would be Adenlanach, the one he had come there to free. He went forward towards the dais, musing on what means he should use for freeing her. It will be by raising up war in the midst of peace, said he, such peace as it is. Then he chanted that spell again. Barely were the last words of it passing between his lips and his teeth, when he heard commotion and shouting afar, and their rapidly drawing nearer. It will be the ten giants from the gates, he thought, the nine sentinels and the porter the tenth, and the three stones untiringly pursuing them. That was the truth. The stones had made pursuit of the giants three times round the care within its walls, and were guiding them now into the hall. In they came, 
roaring and blundering and in great fear of their oppressors and imploring protection from the chieftain sleeping on his throne him also the three stones betook themselves to belabouring delivering fierce well-aimed stinging blows upon his head and upon his body beyond that the ten from the gates came to him and bellowed into his two ears the news they had concerning the gods and the cymri it would have been easier for them to have awakened the mountains the three stones took thought within themselves we must increase our vigour thought they there will be need of raising up commotion in this hall although heretofore we have maintained orderly quietness thereupon they rose up against the ten again and if they had afflicted them grievously before ten times more grievously they began to afflict them then three times they drove them round the hall and mingled their own shouting of the dragon war shout with the bellowings of extreme terror they got from the giants goody watched them not without hopeful anticipation during the first circuit of the hall they attained raising such tumultuous din that the armour on the walls was shaken down and fell clanging and rattling on the floor not good where there might be better cried he redouble your exertions they obeyed him and at the second circuit raised such a din that the great pillars were visibly shaken it is better he shouted but there must be a best redouble your exertions in the name of heaven they obeyed him and at the third circuit put forth their power and raised ten times the clamour that they had raised before so loud was the shouting of the stones and the bellowing of the giants and the thunder and pounding of their feet on the flagstones that three of the pillars were brought down with it this indeed is tumult shouted goody praising them this indeed is praiseworthy din and confusion the fall of the pillars made dust of the flagstones and caused a trembling of the mountains over a great part of the world it happened to the third of them to fall on the head of the chieftain of the giants then the stones forsook their persecution and the ten from the gates fell asleep being freed from it the chieftain of the giants lifted his hand to his forehead slowly slowly he raised the eyelids that had fallen over his eyes it is a fly buzzing in the rafters murmured he it is a fly causing dust to fall from amidst the rafters evil upon the miserable fly that has broken my rest and peace let the seven harp-strings of slumber have their striking with that a great solemn harp-note boomed out from behind him on the dais unconquerable slumber in the sound of it goody leapt towards it there was a harp there the three sides of which were equal in size to three full-grown beech trunks from the depths of the forest before the note could come to its fullness his sword had swept through the seven strings their snapping rang and shrieked and clamoured from end to end of the hall and voices laden with keen intense wailing detestably shrill and screaming fled out and fled out from every broken end broken 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 they screamed woe is me i am snapped goody sat down at the base of a pillar facing the chieftain and listened to their piercing grief considering that it would attain its end at last even if there should be waiting here is the end of sleep for ever they screamed 
here is the end of the delight of Kerhun. Although the noise they raised may not have been more than three times louder than the best noise raised by the stones and giants, yet it was ten times more terrifying, or even thirteen times, by reason of its piercing nature. There was no peace in the hall with them, until the last of the giants was on his feet, awakened and amazed, and moaning with bewilderment and vexation. Let the seven harp-strings of slumber be sounded! Ah, for the sake of heaven, let them be sounded! The master of the harp went to his work confusedly, but the best he could get from the strings was keener and keener shrieking, wailing ever more piercing and dismal, and no news but that the sleep would be unknown in Kerhun from that out. The giants bowed their heads in their hands, and lamented with tears for the breaking of their peace. Then Guri rose up, and stood before the throne. "'For what reason is this unseemly lamentation?' said he. "'There is an end of sleeping in the hall of Kerhun,' said the chieftain of the giants. "'Without it there will be no diversion for us henceforward. Undoubtedly we shall pine away through grief and sleeplessness, and it will be the death of us.' woe is me for this rude destruction of our sleep woe is me moaned the giants for this rude destruction of our sleep dear help you said guri kindly there is a better diversion than sleeping undoubtedly this will be without truth what power hast thou in the raising up of diversions sleeping have we been since the worlds were formed as for power I have three unusual arts of extreme power. Easily could I show you a better diversion than this slothful sleep. Make it known to us, make it known to us in the name of heaven and man. Make known to us what diversion it will be. Eating it will be, said Kuri. It will be the preparation of delicious food, and the cooking of it in cauldrons, and the devouring of it. It will be a thousand times a better diversion for you than wasting the ages in brutish slumber and oblivion. The giants glanced at each other wonderingly and fell to confused cogitation. We heard a rumour of it before the old sleep of the worlds, said they. It is a long time since we have forgotten this art. I will show you, said Guri. Thereupon he went to the hearth and kindled a fire. He shook out three drops from his horn into the cauldron, and immediately it was filled to the brim with clear water. Then he picked up the wing of a dead bat that had been shaken down from the roof by the shouting, and threw that in also. As soon as it was in the cauldron, the water began to boil. Slothfully and sorrowfully the giants watched him. He took the horn again and looked into it. "'Is there pepper with you?' he said to the horn. Pepper will be required. He shook it over the cauldron, and Pepper poured forth from it, stronger than any in the world. The power of it spread from the door to the dais, and from the floor to the rafter beams. The wailing of the harp-strings died away. The giants looked at each other with slowly kindling delight. Ah! they murmured. Ah! Ah! In a little while Goody took the cauldron from the fire, and set it before the chieftain. Since the worlds were formed, 
the senses of the giants had known no delight equal to the delight of the smell that arose from the cooked meat in the cauldron an aspect of cheerfulness spread over their countenances few of them would have desired to sleep even if sleep had been granted them let every one come to the cauldron said goody and take out of it as much as he may require and use it according to the desire that shall overtake him thrice nine men at a time they did so beginning with their princes it became the strongest desire in the world on every one of them to consume and devour greedily whatsoever he might have taken beyond doubt the food was hot well peppered and of strong flavour as they consumed it their hunger grew and they eagerly desired more the more they desired the more they devoured and the more their sloth was lifted from them marvellous indeed is this diversion they said many times is it better than foolish sleeping heat and liveliness and the desire for exertion took possession of them so active was the power of the pepper in the food from heavy lamentations they were taken with cumbersome laughter and merriment for the sake of gaiety they fell to snatching the food the one from the other and even to the delivering of buffets where none might be looked for so from merriment the shadow of anger would be blown across their souls a thing unknown to them until then the buffeted being undesirous of receiving blows eagerly and with uncouth asseverations with restraintless noise and unseemly vehemence they clamoured after the food and devoured it and clamouring and devouring they were until the dawn of the morning with the first brightening of dawn the cauldron was empty and they had long since forgotten that there was such a thing as sleeping in the world or ever had been beyond that adan lanach was at peace at last in her cage and had left the beating of her wings and was watching what should befall not without astonishment and the awakening of hope wherefore is the cauldron emptied of food let it be filled again let it be filled again quickly lest pining away should overtake us let the cauldron be filled again with food lest we perish of hunger and of the lack of this excellent diversion miserable is this greed and gluttony said goody the cauldron will never be refilled they began to raise up their lamentations again now there was a sound of bitterness and anger about it where before there had only been heaviness and loutish grief wherefore do you lament said goody for what reason is this unseemly clamour of grief it is a marvel to me truly that this should be alas they said the cauldron is empty we lack diversion and are likely to perish dear help you better said he cheerfully a far better diversion is known to me than this gluttonous consuming of food undoubtedly this is untrue what power or knowledge hast thou for the raising up of diversions consuming food we have been since the making of the worlds no other diversion hath been devised than this as for power and knowledge i have three unusual arts of extreme power and knowledge for what purpose were the weapons on the walls it is unknown to us said they bewildered for adornments they were so far as is known stupid are ye truly useless they would be for adornments for diversion and for entertaining amusement they were they marvelled make it known to us in heaven's name 
they said if there be any truth in this make known to us for what diversion they were for fighting they were said goody for satisfying the ears with excellent din and for the exertion of strength and violence and for the laying on of sharp stinging and well-directed blows a thousand times a better diversion will it be for you than the exercise of contemptible gluttony in the matter of devouring food a murmur of wonderment and deep cogitation went through them we heard a rumour of it indeed before the falling of the night of the worlds i will make it known to you said goody he went to two of the swords where they lay and dropped water on the blades it is raising of strife that is required of you he whispered to them then he called to the chieftain and to one of the princes take them in your hands in this way said he as soon as those two had hold of the swords here is what happened ah said the chieftain thou buffetest me evil upon thee said the other thou accusest me falsely therewith they began to smite at each other with extreme vigour as if they had been accustomed to fighting since the crying of the name murmured the others mighty and regal indeed is this diversion were it but permitted to us also to engage in this cheerfully it is permitted to you said goody encouraging them let every man pick up one of the long ones and one of the round ones and use them according to the desire that shall take him and according to the precedent of the prince and the chieftain eagerly they did so and as soon as the weapons were in their hands they became acquainted with the use of them and forgot all diversions except fighting delight in battle took their hearts and they roared with laughter and fell to smiting roaring and smiting they swept down from the dais making conflict and confusion every man against every man without order or science or the natural courtesy of war then there rose up a sound through the hall that easily soared above the noise of the fighting it was adenlanach in her cage song had returned to her a wild war-song it was and rang and surged and billowed out gloriously impetuous tumultuous millions of notes pursuing each other in a supreme intoxication of battle-music surging and swaying and leaping among the pillars the warfare of the giants was whirled by it into a wild quick ecstasy of fighting stately it grew then slow and majestic warlike still and according to its majesty and stern marching sweep so they were loosened and quelled from their tumult and took courteous rank and order until their fighting became of equal dignity with the warfare of the men of the island of the mighty she sang and her song was awakenment and the passing of sloth and brutishness into valour she sang and the leaden bars of her cage melted and fell down upon the floor she rose up through the air and beamed and glowed and lightened ambiently among the heights of the pillars pouring forth her marvels of melody flooding the hall with music hardly to be equalled in the world hearing it the loutish nature of the giants was continually changed and they grew in speed and strength and heroic courtesy and beauty then far off in the lofty vastness of the hall there shone forth a glory and a marvellous dawn gazing goody 
beheld the beauty and splendour of a prince of the immortals he saw that bright one hold forth his arm above the giants and they came to peace swiftly he saw him lead them forth then there was silence in Caer Hun again except for the singing of aden lanach brighter than the star of evening on the fairest evening of july she passed onward leading him sweeping and shedding beauty through the darkness a breath of wind sweet from many mountains full of the scent of heather and bogland blew in upon his face he came out from the mountain through the mouth of a great cavern and knew that he was within the confines of the island of the mighty again the sun shone over a marshland that was other than the marshland from which he had passed into Kerhun. the winds swayed the rushes and rippled the surface of the pools he heard the booming of the bittern the bleating of the snipe afar he heard the lark chanting in the morning from her pathless playground in the sky he saw the ford and heard the music of its waters he saw the wind-driver grazing beside it waiting for him where there had been the immensity of the care now there were only trackless mountains Adenlanach rose up into the bloom and blueness of the heavens and he heard her trailing song far away over the mountains he rode forward and came that evening to the fountain of Tabai at Clandabai. End of part eighteen.